Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 29 of Brewer Magazine, the podcast. I'm your host and the publisher of Brewer Magazine, Tyler Montgomery. In a lot of our episodes, we talk about how to handle your local consumer base and focusing on your customers, your tap room, and the beers that you're creating specifically for that customer base. In this episode, our editor John Seacott caught up with Yuli Benevitz, local celebrity in his own right in the brewing community in North Carolina. Yuli opened the first microbrewery in North Carolina in Grandy, North Carolina in 1986. He focuses primarily on lagers, and he discusses the reason being is his local consumer base and tourism. While things aren't always easy for Yuli and Weeping Radish, it's understanding tourism, his local consumer, what they drink at home, and what they want to drink when they're on vacation in Grandy, and what creation he wants to make. This is a really great podcast. It's a really great interview. I hope you enjoy it. I learned a lot listening to it. Of course, John asked the best questions, and Yuli is just a wealth of knowledge. So if you're focusing on your local consumer base, as you should be, I hope you enjoyed this interview. So kick back, grab a cold one, and enjoy. Cheers. Because, you know, we really don't have uh, the customer base here mm-hmm. to justify a microbrewery. I mean, the microbrewing share in this county is probably less than 3%. Mm-hmm. Everything else is by the miller. Wow. So it's a rural county and, um, you know, so we are completely depending on tourism, which is fine in the summer month, obviously, um, but in the wintertime it's, you know, slim picking around here. Sure. How does that, the ebb and flow of that work then? Well, um, that's a nightmare, of course, especially with brewing, because especially with the style of beer we do, mm-hmm. you know, we do lagers. Right. If you can knock out ales all day long, uh, you can survive a, a peak. Because you can just keep on kicking them out. Mm-hmm. But if you do nothing but lagers with three or four weeks aging, you can brew all you want by the time every tank is full. See what I'm saying? You can't, yeah. you can't turn. So mm-hmm. we're compounding the problem by having lagers. The reason we do lagers is because we're not in a college town. Um, this is a family beach, as you know. And um, so our challenge is, or has been for years, to convert. Um, American light beer drinkers, Bud Miller beer drinkers, to microbrewing. And you're not going to do that with a triple IPA. Right. So that's another reason why we had to back up and go into, into our styles of beer. You know, we look at our beers as really a, a way of easing, as I said, conventional beer drinkers over to microbrewing. And B, having a restaurant, um, we create beers as complements to food, mm-hmm. which is a bit different when you have a brew pub where you're trying to outshine other beers, then you're more into the impact game, mm-hmm. and we are more into the drinkability game. And that gets you back to your traditional German-style lagers, which are meant to be a complement to food. Mm-hmm. You know, Germany normally competes whatever pub you go to, restaurant, gusto, whatever, they have one brewery and one beer, and that's basically it. They've got a ice beer, a pills, and whatever. But see, I'm saying you don't yeah. have 25 different styles of beer to choose from over there. So that's the difference between drinkability and impact, really, the way I look at it. Oh, okay. Um, 
And I mean, when you opened, the, I was the, the restaurant had to have been very key as well. Um, the restaurant was obviously key. We um, it was a five barrel system, and um, oh the hell, it was a five barrel system in a resort market. I mean, it's about as stupid as you can get. You know, you're <laughs> running out of beer in a week in July. I mean, obviously, so yeah. it was pretty stupid. Um, we compounded the problem by typical arrogant. Um, we only served our own beer, which in '86 was just absolutely unheard of. Mm -hmm. Nobody would dare to do a microbrewery in '86. Well, they would never do a microbrewery, let alone only serve. If we would have done Bud Mill and Coors and then had one of ours to as an introductory. Mm -hmm. That probably would have made more sense. Sure. Um, we didn't. We plowed right into it and said, God, if, you know, we don't allow you to have ham McDonald's hamburgers in here either. This is our restaurant. Yeah. We have our food now, beer, which was very, very arrogant. Yeah. Um, but um, it was certainly moving into the market with a slash. Yeah. And they had never seen a Bavarian restaurant before. Oh, wow. With Oompa music and sauerkraut and Wiener schnitzels. I mean, it was authentic. It was amazing. So. But it worked for you. It worked. Oh, was it, there struggles it though? Wasn't, it wasn't financially uh, successful sure. because you know whatever. Sure, we made a ton of money in the summertime, but we lost our tail in the wintertime. So mm -hmm. you know, every money you made in the summertime is gone in the winter because you can't fire everybody. Yeah, you got to keep your staff on, and, and you, you know you serve the old straggler who comes through. And uh, so it wasn't. No, it was not financially a huge success. Absolutely not. Um, Do you plan for it? Is it still like that? To a, this a is degree. Getting, this is better. This is much better now. We're still in the wrong market, obviously. Now we've compounded these in a different way. We started this in 2000. And this is a farm to table concept mm. with our own farm and our own butchery and our own everything else. Well, farm to table in 2000 was just as alien as Michael Brew was in 86. Yeah. Nobody knew in 2000 what farm to table was, for God's sake. Mm -hmm. And here we go again, picked a rural county. Uh, they don't even today know what farm to table means. Yeah. You know, we just had our first McDonald's built up the road with a fireplace and the county's very excited about having their own McDonald's. So we're not quite there yet when it comes to, you know, if this would be outside Chapel Hill or outside any urban area, mm -hmm. it would be a completely different concept. Sure. Um, but um, it's ticking over. It's doing much better than it used to. And, you know, what we did with 80, in 86 with beer, that's what we've done now with meat. You know, this idea for charcuterie um, is unheard of. Mm -hmm. um, so. Um, you know, it just, it's its coming on its own now. Now being brought is the big thing. Mm -hmm. um, and people want natural meats. We get our meat from a local co-op, which is 100% hormone-free, antibiotic-free, free-range, blah, 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 all that good stuff. Yeah. Well, try that five years ago and nobody cared. Mm -hmm. Now suddenly, wow, that's what everybody wants. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's its a movement. Yeah. It's a movement. Microbrewing. I look at this whole thing as a craft movement and microbrewing, uh, you know, you look at it strictly from a beer point of view. I, I have a different perspective. I look sure. at this as a craft movement. Mm -hmm. And that is, if you look at that banner out there, for example, if you look at where the break was, when did it really take off? It really took off in 2008. Mm. That's when the economy crashed. And until 2008, we're all brainwashed into believing that, you know, everything is global. Mm -hmm. And now suddenly local has bounced back. And you can take that same graph, you can do it farmer's markets, uh, whatever, farm to table, anything you want to, coffee shops, anything will follow that graph hmm. out the road because we are now in a all local movement. Yeah. And beer is part of it, no doubt about it, um, but it is only part of it.
Distilling yeah. is the next big thing coming along. Mm -hmm. um, coffee roasting, all of these things. And now it's even doing wider circles. Now we're getting to local malt. So we're now talking value-added agriculture, buying a local malt from your local farm. So the farmers are starting to do their own malting now. Um, so you get into the local malting business and sells directly retail to the local brewery. So we are creating a whole local food system again, not just around vegetables, but also meats and malt and hops and everything else. So it is a much bigger picture rather, and beer of course is a prominent part of it, mm -hmm. but only because beer started it earlier than most others. Sure. But um, now, my God, you know, you watch distilling in the next 10 years, oh, yeah. it'll go ballistics. I mean, it's going to be unbelievable. Uh, we already start distilling now on local farms mm. in North Carolina. We have a lot of sweet potato farms, and they started doing their own distilling of sweet potato scraps. Um, <laughs> so what they're doing is they're taking the number one sweet potato cell in the sweet potato, and everything else cuts, brews, whatever, goes into the distillery. Huh. So they sell sweet potatoes in vodka. Oh, some wow. potato farms doing the same thing, selling potatoes, eating potatoes in the morning. Whatever they don't sell, don't worry about it won't go bad, they just mash it and it goes into vodka production. Wow. So that's this whole thing and it actually goes into education which to me is the next big leg that is coming. We have an education system that we all agree is out of control. Um, our whole goal in education in this country is to shove as many kids through college as you can, mm -hmm. which isn't the goal at all. Mm -hmm. The Germans haven't really, and I didn't know that when I lived there, but their educational goal is clearly completely different. Their educational goal is for every child to have a profession when they leave education. Hmm. If that profession requires college or university, so be it. Right. But they have professional training hmm. for brewers, bakers, butchers, carpenters, electricians, everything. Right. They are professionals right. in their own right. So that is a completely different mindset compared to what we do. Um, our, you know, brewers, is, you know, we, we maintain it's a profession, but really, um, the general public, I mean, I've been on PTA councils, if you ever suggest to a parent that their child is not college material, yeah. they'll kill you right there on the spot, <laughs> because our mindset is, our, my child is bright, and bright means going to college. Really? Mm -hmm. You know, bright brewers, my God, smarter, oh, yeah. smarter than any damn college kid any day. Sure. So we need to rethink education back to craft or professionalism and create this training system to create, to literally train brewers, bakers, all these things. I mean, if you think about it, mm -hmm. we have a butchery. There isn't a single training hour required in this country to be either a chef or a butcher. That is mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah. That is mind-boggling. So what the hell do we do? But I'm in real estate. Really? So I need 600 hours of classroom training. Who can I kill with real estate? Nobody. <laughs> but if I go in the kitchen and I, you don't know what I'm doing, I can kill somebody in a heartbeat with right. food. So, you know, this craft, from an educational point of view, now needs, and it's beginning. Community colleges for years and years and years were nothing but enablers of last resort. Mm -hmm. If kids didn't make it through the regular college right after high school, they went through community college and shoved them to college after that. Right. Finally, I think we're waking up and these community colleges are slowly beginning to realize they have a function other than enabling more kids to go to college. Sure. And I think this college debt crisis is a positive thing because it forces some people to actually think about this okay. stuff instead of just saying, oh yeah, college. Mm -hmm. And um, so the craft movement, really we need to get our act together and get training and I hope the Brewers Association in Colorado will get to a point 
where you have a professional brewing degree, you know, not necessarily a college degree, mm -hmm. but a training that allows you to call yourself a craft brewer. Uh -huh. And um, then that needs to then start with butchering. With, we have the culinary schools, but again, we have culinary schools, we have some super training, fantastic culinary schools, but still no requirement to have any training to, 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 to run a kitchen. Mm -hmm. And culinary is just as much of a craft as brewing, right. as distilling, as anything else. So yeah. that's really the, so you, you you know, you have various blocks, you have this, interesting, I talked to Harris Tito the other day, a buyer from Harris Tito, and he calls it now hyper-local. Mm -hmm. He said, that is the new movement. He said, I'm not interested in your beer in, in Virginia. Right. I'm only interested in your beer in our North Carolina local stores. The more local, the more interested I am. Mm -hmm. I'm already, he said, I'm already got concerns about having you in Charlotte, because they have enough breweries up there, I don't sure. need you there. But here, I need you. Right. Because that's when people come, they come to even if Aristita. I mean, the first time Food Line came to us and said, we'd like to buy your sausages, I nearly fell off my chair. <laughs> if you would have, in the last 20 years, gone to a food line and they want to buy a local meat product, right. I would have laughed you out the door. Yeah. Now they're actually making an effort mm -hmm. to get it, to bypass the entire structure, to buy in local, because that's what, what, where this is all going. That's so awesome. it's a fascinating you know, view of, of this that goes way beyond just you know who's brewing beer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, again, the other thing about this, it's the young generation driving this boat. Right. You've been to microbrewing conferences. Wow, the average age is under 30. Mm -hmm. Those kids are on fire. Yep. I've been to a Budweiser plant, for God's sake, the average age is 58. Mm -hmm. They only talk about unions and retirement. Yep. They have no drive, no interest, no nothing in beer. It's just a job, a union job, and that's what they do. Mm -hmm. And then you look at microbrewing. I have never heard passion. anybody in the microbrewing conference, passion is the word, I've never had anyone in the microbrewing conference talk about unions or retirement, never. Uh -huh. Everybody's passionate about what they do. And uh, that's, and it's the young generation, not the old generation. Uh -huh. I really am a very anti-old white men guy. Um, <laughs> I really am, because you know, the old white men that I know all bitch about America in general, and about the young generation in particular, uh -huh. really. Whatever's wrong with America is our generation's fault. We ran this damn country for the last 30 years. It's us. Yeah. So get out of the way and let these young kids get on with it. And, um, you know, don't. And I've said to some old people, I said, guys, do you talk like that in front of your grandchildren? Because if you are not pos positive and optimistic in front of your grandchildren, what kind of a legacy do you give these kids? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen kids where grandpa and father do nothing but bitch and moan about how dreadful life is and everything's terrible. And everything. Really? Mm -hmm. That's how you inspire your children? Wow. <laughs> Give them optimism. Take them to a microbrewing conference. Yeah. I mean, I've been to coffee conferences just for just for fun. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It's the same thing. Sure. All these kids under 30, they talk about coffee growing areas in the world I've never heard of in my lifetime, but they are passionate about what they do. Mm -hmm. And that's to me, is what this is all about. It's the passion that makes this so great. And I mean, look at Europe. When I started this, I shipped in a European master brewer. His first beer was a wheat beer. First he said, what the hell am I doing in this country? This is worse than Africa when it comes to beer taste. And it was in 86. Oh, yeah. There was nothing here. Mm -hmm. And I, mean, I keep telling people, when I came to America in 1980, America was a true wasteland. In 1980, we had no coffee in America. Mm -hmm. All we had was Maxwell House, 
I'm sorry, that doesn't qualify for coffee. Yeah. And we had no beer in America. Mm -hmm. Every time I flew to Europe, the first thing I did is bought a Weiss beer and had a cup of coffee, both of which I couldn't get in this country. Sure. Now, it's the opposite. I mean, now we have Europeans coming to America to experience microbrewing. Mm -hmm. And this is the other side of the German, the downside of the German training system. They have the upside because they have craft training. Mm -hmm. And they call it professional, not blue collar, not, you know, trade. I hate that word trade, mm -hmm. with a passion. Why? Every English house has a tradesman's entrance, which is below somewhere on the side, mm. versus the main entrance. That's the social stigma attached to trade. Uh, That's where this parent crap comes from, that my kid is smart and needs to go to college. Mm. Because the trades are the dumb ones, right? and the smart ones are the college educated ones. Mm -hmm. That's where that comes from. Hmm. That's why you need to get away from trade and call it professionals. Because mm -hmm. we are just as much professionals as an accountant or a lawyer or a carpenter or, or whoever else. Right. That's what we need to get. That's to me is what we need to really push for. Um, and this smart thing in schools, we better watch out. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons why we have so much problem in schools. Why? Because we now have advanced classes. So what right. do we do halfway through the classroom? Somebody comes in and the advanced kids leave the room. Really? Mm -hmm. What do you think that makes the other kids feel like? They're obviously the stupid ones in the room. Mm -hmm. And they know they are considered the stupid ones in the room. Mm -hmm. They are the ones who get the guns. They are the ones who have <laughs> the psychological problems. Yeah. Because where's their self-esteem? You put those guys, you know what the German word for craft is? Mm. And labor. Think about that one. Mm. You take some of those kids that stay behind in that classroom, you put them in a real workshop where they can work on engines or wood or whatever, mm -hmm. they will take off like crazy. Right. because they want to do something with their hands. Mm -hmm. But what do we do? We force them to sit in that damn bench. Think. And listen, not even do. think, just, just read stupid books and we, you know, yeah. remember yeah. crap. Really? Right. That's not their thing. Never was my thing. Mm -hmm. My brother's got a PhD, speaks three languages. I would trade with him for one day on this earth. I was obviously the one, I worked on a farm. But guess what? 40 years later, my dad's are better off than my brother. The hell would happen with my brother, that's for damn sure. Mm. But he was the bright one in the family. So, you know, let's not, um, let's not undersell what we are as a craft community. Sure. Um, because we, we, you know, we, we keep on saying, well, you know, if they don't do anything else in college, well, they can always start brewing beer. Careful. Mm -hmm. This is applied science. Mm -hmm. You better know what you're doing in a brewery. And you will learn on the job. You will never be able to. Most of these kids, brewers, if they, you give them a chemistry book, they throw it in the corner. You tell them this is what you need to do to get to the beer, and this is what it takes to do that. They'll grab that same book and start reading. Yeah. Because it's applied to what they want to know. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. That's where the passion comes from. Once you have the passion, you can learn. Mm -hmm. But if they just sit in a classroom, and, you know, you've got the bright ones who can remember every damn page when they read it once. I mean, my daughter's a speed reader, for God's sake. I mean, you know, I would have been horrified with her in the same classroom. I mean, it took yeah. me forever to read a page, and yeah. she just flies through it. See what I'm saying? Yep. But we have different skill sets. Mm -hmm. So that's that's where I see this movement coming together as you know, way beyond brewing, um, from an educational point of view, from a training point of view, and from a community. Everybody wants to live in a community again. Everybody wants to have a local brew pub. Listen, mm -hmm. perhaps you know the example in England. Somebody opened a brew pub. And he covered it in aluminum foil. 
You know what that is? Oh, yeah, I did hear about it. Kills every cell phone reception. <laughs> Brilliant. Lousy business decision, believe me, lousy. Yeah. He's going to catch so much hell, he's going to take that down. But the concept is brilliant because if we want to have a local community again, where we commun communicate, mm -hmm. that's where the word comes from, then he sits there with a damn smartphone, we ain't done it right. Mm -hmm. That was his point. His point was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> but from a business decision point of view, <laughs> I can just see the first customer wave come in and say, I want my cell phone, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. And he's going to have to take that down because people don't want it. But, but, but you see, the, you see the, the idea behind it yeah. is getting communities back together again. You know, the, the time of suburbia um, is coming to an end, which is wonderful. People want to live again. They don't want to be in a shopping mall in suburbia mm -hmm. and drive an hour and commute. They want to live in Rio. That's why all these revitalization of urban areas. Right. All of us in this business had phone calls from developers. Mm. They tried to get a, sub a development going. The first thing you want to do, have a brew pub. Sure. First thing you want, next thing you want to do, a coffee shop. Mm -hmm. That's what they want. This is what's going. Yeah. And, um, so that's, you know, that's why I think this is how far this come in 35 years. Wow. It's incredible, but it's gone way beyond beer. Yeah. It's in a completely different, you know, in its own. It's it's truly is a, a, a movement. Yeah. And um, when it comes to food, we started the butchery now, um, and I had Elizabeth Dole come in here, and. Um, when she was senator of North Carolina, looked at all this and said, this is fascinating, especially the fruits out of it. But she said, I don't think what you're trying to do is going to work. And I said, why not? And she says, too expensive. Um, so I told her, let me tell you, I said, let me tell you one thing. You go inland here on the way back to Raleigh, there's a farming town called Plymouth, North Carolina, like any other farming town. 6,000 people live there, five or six fast food joints. And I said to her, do you know what else they have there? And she said, no, what? I said, a dialysis center. Uh, but don't blame McDonald's. They are an awesome company. How they make a dollar burger and make a profit blows my mind. Uh -huh. Plus, they got the cleanest bathrooms in Eastern North Carolina. And if you eat that stuff for 30 years, you will be on dialysis. Yeah. But that is your problem, not McDonald's problem. Uh -huh. So, and I told her, 30 miles down the road, it's the next small farming town, and they have their own dialysis center 30 miles away. So that's what we have created with this food system. Uh -huh. And, you know, we, it's cheap up front, but your costs come at the end. Right. And that's where the whole healthcare fiasco comes from, is because we have just pushed that cheap junk, and now the, the bills come. Mm -hmm. I mean, if every town needs a dialysis center, right. what do you expect? Yeah. That's really where this, you know, and the young generation is waking up. I mean, there's a gym now in every town, mm -hmm. or two or three. What Starbucks did to coffee is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. They have really created a coffee culture. Mm -hmm. And Sam Adams, you know, to some extent, did the same with microbrew beer. I mean, sure. they made my, they really drove this thing, and made microbrew beer. Our first, as I said, our first wheat beer we brewed in '86. We couldn't give it away. We could not give away. And it was an awesome wheat beer. That was his PhD for God's sake. That was his special. <laughs> and you couldn't give it away. In wow. Because nobody had ever tried a wheat beer before. Yeah. They said this is off. This is cloudy. This is terrible. Wow, yeah. So the tastes have changed with it. Mm -hmm. And not just for beer, but also for food and for liquor and for everything else. It's, we're beginning to you know, develop a, a real taste culture around all these things, which is awesome. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So, where does this all lead? I don't know. Um, um, clearly to a better place from where we are now. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's you know we just got to encourage this young generation i don't think everybody says this is just all a financial bubble once the economy tank tanks people are going to go back to drink bud, bud light i don't think so yeah. um people will drink less um but they will you know still it's interesting we actually the opposite way as europe um europe just discovered walmart um they are getting their butchers and bakers dying like flies over there and their brewing industry is a fiasco now Huh. They've had 15 years or 20 years now of nothing but consolidations among breweries. Mm -hmm. <coughs> so they are swinging that way, why did we swing the other way? Now we have Europeans, Germans in particular, coming over to America looking at microbreweries. And I talked to a lady at the last brewing conference in DC from Holodau, Germany, and um, she was there and I said, what are you doing here? She said, I'm a Hofsburg, you know, farmer. I said, I can tell. And I said, what are you doing here? She said, I'm having so much fun. She said, if I go to a German expo, there's nothing but corporate buyers there. Mm -hmm. She said, it's the boring, most boring thing in the world. She said, you come to America, and every brewer wants to talk to you and talks about tastes and differences, and have you tried this, and have you tried that, and what's, what are your soils like, and this, that, and the other. She said, this is so exciting for us because we are not used to that anymore. Mm -hmm. Think about that. It's, you know, and that's the Budweiser culture yeah. we have in this country. It's just all corporate and buying. And I've argued that with, with um, professors and economic professors they have textbooks of 30 years old and their model of efficiency economic efficiency which is what everybody says we need is Budweiser <laughs> why they got the lowest ingredient cost they got the lowest labor cost they have the lowest distribution cost they have the best equipment utilization they they fit every econ textbook 101 but some of their sales are going down right Microbrewing, we have the worst labor cost in the world, believe me. We have the worst ingredient cost because we use real ingredients. Um, we have the worst distribution costs, nearly as bad as farmers markets, because we all run around little trucks delivering locally. Uh -huh. But somehow, the business model works, uh -huh. which is completely different to what that textbook said. Right. Farmers markets are the same way. I mean, it's the most inefficient way to deliver vegetables you've ever seen. Go to farmers market, they're 25 F-250 pickup trucks doing eight miles to the gallon. Everybody has a little bit of vegetables on the back. Really? You look at the Walmart semi-show up, you have a 48 foot packed with food. Yeah. That's the most efficient way to distribute stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you do that with non-perishables, you have to pump them full of chemicals so they survive this mega distribution system. Yeah. And that's what makes people sick. So now we're swinging back and saying, okay, fine, less chemicals, more local, it's more expensive. But in the long term, it'll be cheaper than what we're doing right now with food. Right. Because you don't have the latent cost. But that's, you know, that's the next generation, they understand that. Yeah. Combine that with exercise and fitness, and with a more positive attitude mm -hmm. that comes with the craft education system, then you really have this whole thing moving into a much better direction than we, than we were before. Awesome. Uh, it's a very different point of view than, than you would normally Sure. Yeah, if you see no, what I mean. But, it's refreshing. <laughs> but it, it's, you know, I, I mean, you don't need to talk to me about beer brewing, you know all about beer than I do. Um, but um, I have the advantage of having seen this for 30 years, mm -hmm. 35 years, 38 years, whatever. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I've, I've it's, it humbles you, no doubt about that. Sure. Um, but I just, 
I mean, I just love it. I just, every brewing conference I go to, I just wander around and just, you know, take in this optimism, this excitement, this risk taking. Mm -hmm. God, these people buy stainless steel, like it's bloody chewing gum, it's incredible. <laughs> um, it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, everybody says this generation don't take any risks. Really? <laughs> Go to a microbrewery. My God, every damn dime they have, they spend two dimes when they get one dime in. Because mm -hmm. they buy more ingredients and more kegs and more stainless and more tanks and yeah. they keep on going. Do you think the growth, that, that growth's not going to no. go? That's the thing, is some of these... No, microbrewing, I mean, you have to separate the industries. You have to separate, obviously, between brew pubs and microbrewing. Yeah. The distribution side of it is oversaturated already. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why I would never go to distribution. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense. Right. What the hell am I doing with my beer in Ohio? Right. What the hell am I doing there? You've got your own beers up there. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing about beer is, you know, it goes back to... We still have a lot to learn. I mean, look at look at what we do. With it. These tap houses drive me nuts. Um, really, you have 40 draft lines in one building and 60 seats. How often do you think they change a keg in there? Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not smart. It's not smart. It's just like having 70 wine bottles all open at the same time right. and say, "Here, have you help yourself to a glass of wine." <laughs> that wine's bound to be bad, and draft beer is no different. Mm -hmm. I mean, I went to. Group up the other day, I mean, a, a tap house the other day, right? They use their tap draft lights as decorations in the ceiling. You talk about ridiculous. What the hell do they know about beer? I mean, when you buy, get a pint of beer, you wonder how long that thing's been in the, in the ceiling before it left the cake. Yeah. Wow. It's not smart <laughs> beer. It's, no. See what I'm saying? It's, no. it's it, you know, we, but they think, oh, well, don't have a brewery, let's have 50 draft lights. bad beer anywhere you look at it yeah um, so that's why with self-distribution I keep telling our local restaurants guys if you want a keg of beer that is filled to order there's only one place you can go to mm -hmm. and that's your local brewery that does self-distribution every other keg's been sitting in a warehouse somewhere yeah. and you really don't know how long mm -hmm. and this is the thing about Bud Budweiser I give them that they came up with a born on date mm -hmm. everybody poo-pooed that I thought it was brilliant why they are right. If we distribute beer as a small brewery, we send it off to a distributor in Richmond, Virginia. We just lost control. Mm -hmm. We have no clue where our beer is in Richmond, when they sell it to a retail account, what temperature they keep it at, when it gets to the consumer. We have no clue. Yep. Budweiser controls their distributors. Mm -hmm. So if you want a bad beer, look for an old, you know, old obscure microbrew beer that is not being pasteurized you will find a bad beer there. Mm -hmm. So their idea to say, hey, I will have a born on date, I thought was genius because it proves control. Does it make any difference to a Bud Light if it's out of date? Hell no, that stuff is dead, as you know. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. If you want to buy a cheap out of date Budweiser, for God's sake, you could never tell the difference between an out of date and not out of date Budweiser. They made that stuff dead deliberately. Right. So it survives distribution. Mm -hmm. But their point was well taken. I right. thought their point was genius. Mm -hmm. I really did. I just, you know, we, we need to... We, need a lot, we have a lot of education left in, 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 for the general consumer about beer. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, the home brewers do a valiant job warning people's taste ideas, mm -hmm. question about it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's fun. It's a great, I mean, I remember home brewing 
the 80s, my God, ATF threatened everybody that does more than five gallons in their basement, really. How the hell are you going to check on that? <laughs> uh, you know, I've been through all that stuff. Right. And, and um, you know, it was in, and the whole religious nuts went ballistics over all that. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, finally they all raise their hands and say, thank you very much. Now all the religious folks move to the city. They yep. are still fighting the religious nuts now. Really? Yep. At least out of the beer business, but they're, they're still still so having and um, they have to get over it too. But, yeah. um, but it is, it's just amazing. But as you said, the, you know, the distribution side of it is going to be tough. It's tough. Mm. You know, you've got to be big to survive. Yeah. And you've got to have elbows and you've got to, you know, and quite honest, if you really want to get big, you better pasture it. Mm. Which is half the advantage of our beer is that it's not pasteurized. Uh, yeah. With no chemicals, no additives, no because that's the whole point of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you get to that level, that market is tough. So I'm very comfortable having Sean get down to where we don't distribute and just local self distribution, where we actually know where our beer is. Cool. We, have, we have a web finder on our um, web page and it shows every place that carries our beer. Kill the bugs inside my head. It's the only way to stop from tearing birds.